0: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Growing up in the woods was something different. Let's get this straight. I'm just an average person growing up in the woods. Well, not average, but I am normal to a certain extent. I live out in the wilderness in a large forest reserve in the United States. I've lived with my grandparents with most of my life. I've never really known my parents before this. But nevertheless, to a certain degree, it doesn't matter. I live in the middle of the wilderness up here. Nowadays, my grandparents will be here for a day or two, then leave for a day or two. The length and time they stay and go varies. But in the summertime, I only have a handful of friends that are even remotely able to come hang out with me. I live in a very remote area of the place where I live, and all you can see from where I am is mountains and trees. The closest town is around four miles away, and all it really is is a small shopping center with a general store and such, but that's about it, some gas, some food, nothing special. Oftentimes, I get the cabin to myself. Yet it's not exactly an old wooden cabin, if you're thinking about it. It's actually very nice. It has four bedrooms and three bathrooms. It's practically a lodge, but all it's missing is a garage. Our cars park in a sort of tent thing. It's just a bunch of wooden poles holding up a sheet metal roof. Because of this, during the winter, we'll often be stuck inside our little cabin for days, weeks, and every once in a while, months. I've learned to go hunting, melt ice into water, and basically become self-sufficient from my grandfather. Going to school in this part of the country is kind of like it's optional. For the sake of keeping us secure, I'll use different names for my friends in future stories, so don't try and come find us. The woods are a strange place. It's like they're their own giant, sentient being. My friends Thomas and James would occasionally head down to a nearby creek a few miles from my house. It was a large creek, almost a river, but it was nothing we couldn't handle. Oftentimes during the summer we'd go out for hours without our cell phones and go explore. We all had cell phones, but there's practically no reception out there unless you're directly inside one of the houses, so most of the time they were just useless. Thomas and James were my best friends ever since I could practically think. We all lived within a six-mile radius, a tiny distance considering the size of most of the town. Thomas lived closer to me, so he'd often come over if I was stuck at home. More often than not, we'd sit down in the lounge room and just watch old movies that my grandparents had. Our cabin had a large glass window across the front wall, so you could always see into the distant wilderness. One time, a few years back, Thomas, my friend David and Jasmine were over. It was raining and my grandparents were out for a few days. David and I became close since he moved in that year. I had only recently gotten my license, so it was a dream. It was storming outside, so I just planned to let David and the others stay the night. It was dark out already, maybe around ten when the four of us were sitting upstairs in the lounge room watching Stand By Me, one of mine and Thomas' favorite movies. We were watching it when we heard a large clanging nearby the garage area. Originally, I shrugged it off as wind blowing over the trash cans or raccoons tipping them over until I heard the crash of metal against the building. Despite the rain outside, I knew the wind outside wasn't nearly that powerful to lift the trash can up to smash it into the cabin. I got up and managed to convince Thomas to come with me as I walked towards the outside. Before I went downstairs, I entered my grandparents' room and took the shotgun just in case it was a bear or something. Thomas took the fire poker and walked behind me, scared as a bat, when I came to the front door. I looked outside and saw nothing yet. I counted at three before I opened the door to go outside. This wasn't the first time I had to deal with a bear digging through my trash. F-bears and shit. Anyway, Thomas and I go outside and scope outside the area. The rain was lighter than I thought it was as the pitch black sky caked the entire yard in darkness. Thomas and I move forward towards the trash can. I know you're not supposed to keep your finger on the trigger, but I'm that moment all I could think about is getting that bear away from me. I hated bears ever since I was young. They scared the shit out of me. But I never felt this fear before. I turned the corner with Thomas and found one of the trash cans lying on the ground. I sighed in relief as Thomas looked shocked looking past the trash. I noticed this, so I asked him what was up. What are you looking at? Don't you see it? See what? The Big Mother F. Thomas pointed forward at a figure behind the tree line. I squinted to see it clearly and made out the figure of a bony, fur-covered being. I looked over at Thomas, telling him it was just a bear and to come on and go. Thomas looked in shock as he pointed forward. "'Why is it looking at us like that?' I glanced back, being met with yellow, glowing eyes from the darkness. I took the shotgun and ran with Thomas back to the house. Before I ran inside, I tripped and shot my gun. It was one of those times where if Thomas wasn't there, I wouldn't be here today.' Thomas stopped to pull me up as this weird, distorted roar came from the woods. We didn't have to exchange words to understand it was coming towards us. I left the shotgun and ran inside. Thomas and I slammed the door shut, hell out of breath, as we heard the creature walking around. Thomas told me to go upstairs, get the others, and barricade ourselves in my bedroom. I nodded and quietly went upstairs doing just that. Thomas met me there shortly after, holding his spare hunting rifle. He always brought with him when he came over. We all spent the night in the same bedroom, guarding each other as we heard that thing walking around the cabin over and over again. I fell asleep sometime during the night and woke up the next morning. Going out to the lounge area felt like it was freezing. Every window was open. Nothing was stolen, surprisingly, but there was definitely someone, or something inside of here. Thomas and I went outside that morning and found my grandparents' shotgun sitting on the front stoop. The barrel bent to an impossible angle. I had no excuse for that when my grandparents came home. Oftentimes during the school year after school, our school had a small skiing program where around 40 to 50 kids all got together on a bus or two to go skiing after school. Doing this was one of the few fun options we got to do for extracurricular around here. Our high school was small, maybe only 300 kids total. I know, small town. We only had one elementary school and one middle high school where grades 6 through 12 all went to the same school. Often enough, my friends and I would do this during the winter to give us something to do. We took a bus around 30 miles to a nearby campus with a large skiing hill in the area. The town was an entire campus town. Everyone was connected to the college and some way around there. Often, James and I, along with some of our friends, determining the circumstances, would all go skiing together. The mountain wasn't all too big, but the trails were certainly long. Each run would take 10 to 15 minutes to reach the bottom. On this particular occasion, I was with my friend James. Not a lot of my friends like skiing, so often enough it was just James and I. It was a few years ago when we decided to go with the bus after school. After a relatively short ride, we got off the bus and got our equipment on. We skied for a couple hours with little event. It was just beginning to get dark when James revealed he had a little bit of dope on him. In my high school years, we were what you would call the stoners. James would always get weird shipments, usually just weed, but it would get us off our ass. James pulled me aside and told me he wanted to smoke a joint or two and asked me to come with him. Me, being a teenager that wanted to get high as well, agreed to come with. We skied off the path a little ways until we were in a place where we thought we wouldn't be noticed. It was slightly past the ski mountain border, so we knew no one would come looking for us. James took out the wrapping paper and rolled us both a joint. We made sure we weren't going to be seen, so we took off our skies and sat under a little overhang of leaves and logs that we made the previous winter. We began talking about what teenagers talk about, girls. Video games are home life, all that shit. As it got darker, James pulled out some candles and lit them, getting us a little bit of light to wrap more weed. After a while, we decided that we'd finish up the last joint and head back since it would be around an hour. When the bus left back to the school, James and I began packing up when an odd noise came from the woods. It didn't sound like from an animal or anything, but more robotic, like a broken drill on a low battery. James caught on quicker than I did, alerting me to the noise. If we were sober, we would most likely hightail it out of there as soon as we heard it. But like dumb high teenagers, I thought it would be a good idea to go find the noise. James agreed to come with me as we had already packed up what we had and set it on the path. James and I both took a candle, walking off towards the noise. The closer we got, the more prominent the noise became, although never growing louder. We walked further into the woods, maybe 50 feet, when we realized we must have passed it as the noise became more soft. We began searching around for the noise, using our candlelight. Back then we never brought our phones on such journeys. We always just brought our watches and wallets to go explore. James walked close towards this evergreen tree as suddenly the snow below it suddenly fell. James fell into a tree well as I heard him yelp in surprise. I ran over and looked down, and I shit you not, there was just a square hole. It must have been a trap door as I looked closer seeing the reflective patch on James's jacket. I called out to James to see if he was all right. James replied for me to come down there. I know straight out of a horror movie, but in our messed up minds we thought, oh cool, a trap door in the woods. I obviously obliged, sliding down into the slot in the floor. It was around the size of a kitchen sink, so it was a tight squeeze in. I dropped down with my candle as the room seemed to light up more. It looked like a bunker as all the shelves and such were entirely devoid of anything. That's when I heard James call me over towards a small steel door along the side. James had a concerned look on his face as I walked over, peering through the window. I was met with only a partially lit room with a single candle sitting inside. It looked like a meat locker room with several rotting animal corpses hanging on meat hooks. I'm so glad the door was shut because I could only imagine the smell. By then, I was sobering up a bit more and realized how messed up this was. I called over to James that we should leave when I hear the familiar buzzing again. I look over and see James rushing back towards the hatch, climbing out as fast as he can. Seeing James react like that is rare. Usually, he was the calmest person in the group, so seeing him run... So afraid, I chased after him, scrambling after him. The two of us ran towards our skiing equipment up on the ridge where James was hastily putting on his skis. I asked him what happened that spooked him like that. What James told me shift me up. You know how there was that whirring sound coming from there? Yeah. Well, I saw what was making the noise. It was a camera. Oh, shit. That's not it. Then what? It was a motion camera. Something was down there with us. That sentence still resonates in my mind. We weren't the only ones down there, and I'm so glad I didn't find out what was down there with us. I know it's not the scariest story out there, but it's something that stuck out to me. Maybe I'll even go back if I can get over the fear of it. It was a couple years ago anyway, and the ski hill has since shut down that section of the mountain due to unsafe hazards. A year ago, it could be a good bonding exercise for James and I to explore, since after James got into urban, exploring despite the terror he felt there. This next story came from my grandfather when I was just a little boy. My grandpa is usually a very reserved man, but occasionally when he has a few drinks down the hatch, he'll open the hatch a little bit for me to peer inside. This story happened one fall evening when I was little. I'll tell this story from his perspective, so it's easier on the writing. I shit you not, we weren't expecting to find anything out in there. Even though I know there's weird shit going on around here, I know it's unlikely to run into that stuff. I went out for a hike that day at noon. It was the type of fall where everything was beginning to turn red and yellow, but still warm during the day. God, it was a nice day. I went down the hiking path alone, as I did every year. It was maybe a three-hour trail, so I brought everything I needed. Some snacks, a compass, water, my Walkman, and my walking stick. I went down the path with relatively no incident until I was maybe three-fourths of the way down. Most years I'd see the occasional deer or fox or such, but this time was different. It felt as if everything in the woods had cleared out. Not even a bird chirping, or crickets, just the occasional breeze from the trees. I was down a particularly steep part of the trail, heading down through the trees and winding the path a little when I looked over and saw this bone pyramid. I shit you not, it looked like someone had spent hours making sure it all stuck. On top was most likely a moose skull, but it was odd. All I can remember was the antlers were just weird, bent in an odd shape, and the skull was just built wrong. It was too long and slender to be a normal moose. I saw this and began to move quicker. There was no debris or anything on the thing, so I knew whoever or whatever did this was nearby. I moved quicker, not rushing, but I was unsettled nevertheless. Now before I go any further... Let me just say my family is a firm believer in the creatures of the night, like Bigfoot, the Wendigo, Chupacabras. Now that that's out of the way, let me continue. I believe what I found was some sort of ritualistic belonging in the woods. As I continued on, I began hearing this sort of clicking sound, like someone clapping two sticks together. The more I walked towards the car, the more prominent it became. I started to get freaked out, and by now I didn't keep my headphones in just in case I was being followed by something. The more I came down the path, the louder the clicking became when I saw the opening of the woods into the parking lot. I rushed over, glad to be near the safety of my car. I rushed out and threw my stuff in the car, never looking back as the clicking remained from the tree line. When I started my car, I looked up and saw this odd-looking silhouette of a man, but its figure was just wrong. It was lumpy, with a large pot of flesh on its arm, from what I could see. The more I looked closer, the more fleshy it became. It didn't have eyes, I can remember that. I don't remember how long I stared at it, but it was probably only a few seconds before the shock wore off. I threw my car into drive when I saw its jaw unhing. It reminded me of an ant eating something. like a predator mouth from that one movie as it made the same clicking sound I heard earlier. Before I could think my foot hit the gas and I was on my way home. I know it isn't the most dramatic ending, but it was something that made me realize that the woods aren't always a wonderful safe place, and it's the reason why I never travel alone. I'm happy to share more stories if people are still interested. I know it's a lot to ask for, but I'm happy that by telling people some of these stories people are interested in this topic, I'll tune in later and see if I should tell more stories. If anyone has any questions about these things, I'll be happy to answer your questions. During one summer, I got my first job at a nearby Dairy Queen in town. I met a couple of my friends from there, especially this one girl from Amber, Amber was the type of girl that never really grew out of her horse girl phase, but instead adapted to the outdoorsy lifestyle. I was 16 at the time, and she was 20. She told me how she came from South Dakota and wanted to live out in the country and discovered our small town and loved it. She went to the college campus nearby a few towns over, and Amber and I became great friends, despite the age difference. During one winter, Amber decided to let me stay the night out at her dorm. My grandparents were in Missouri at this time, so it was easy to stay. And before you think what you're usually going to think, she had a boyfriend and I was interested in another girl from my school. I was lying on Amber's bed watching her play on her Xbox when Amber's roommate, Caitlin, came into the room. Caitlin immediately asked if she could take her to McDonald's since by now the buses around town had shut down and since she didn't have a car. After some negotiations, Amber finally agreed, and I hopped down to go join then. We drove down into town at that time. It was around two in the morning. I'm not gonna lie, I was on some stuff when we went out so before we pulled into the parking lot in McDonald's. I got out my eye drops and let them go inside before me. I hung back as the two entered McDonald's. We would gone into the drive-thru during this time the building was undergoing reconstruction so the drive-thru area was closed. I finished up the eye drops and got out of the car when suddenly I blinked and I was back in the dorm. I'm looking down watching Amber playing Halo on her Xbox when I was filled with shock. I tried to chalk it up to me, being tired and imagining things, when all of a sudden Caitlin walked in again. The entire ordeal played out again, Caitlin nagging Amber to go to McDonald's, which went on for a minute before Amber agreed. Amber then walked up to me and asked if I wanted to come with her. Me, being weirded out of my mind, said no. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was a brain of up or something. This isn't particularly scary, but it's definitely something that has messed with my head. Another story I have is from my cousin that lives in Maine. Every once in a while, either my grandparents would go visit my aunt and uncle in Maine with my cousin, Mike. Mike was a few years older than I was and grew up also in a remote town up in northern Maine. This story is from when my cousin graduated high school and for his vacation before starting college he decided to go on the hundred-mile hike with his girlfriend, Sam, and his friend, Aaron, with his girlfriend, Piper. The four were all outdoorsy people where they all agreed to pack their gear and head out. They packed two weeks' worth of supplies in their backpack, had a friend drive them to the head of the trail, and dropped them off. The first few days in the woods were relatively uneventful, although having encounters with a fox on their second night, On the fifth day, Piper begins telling the group that she's been hearing footsteps walking around the campsite during the night when everyone was asleep. She assumed it was one of us until we told her in the morning we had all slept through the night. We originally played it off as a raccoon or bear or something, when we found a human footprint in the mud. Or at least that's what they thought. A bit uneasy, the four of them quickly packed up and headed off. Another night went by uneventfully. On the seventh night, when they were just getting ready to stop walking and set up camp, Mike saw a weird creature lying on the ground. The body was half decomposed with maggots squirming around it. Its skull in part of its chest was exposed. Its skull was almost like an elephant skull, if you've ever seen one. Elephant skulls have a large hole in the center to make it look like a cyclops when all the flesh is eaten away. Mike tried to write it off as a moose with a facial deformity when Aaron noticed that all the legs were missing except one, which had almost like a human foot. Upon further inspection, it looked as though a large human foot had been burned on as a replacement for a hoof or whatever was originally there. The group decides to head a little further during the darkness and to not talk about it for the rest of the trip to not scare them. By now, Sam was shaking in fear and wanted to leave right away. Mike and the others set up camp a few miles away on a ridge overlooking a relatively small lake surrounded by wilderness. Sam and Piper were having trouble sleeping, so Mike and Aaron took shifts staying up to watch the campsite and keep the campfire lit while they slept, which seemed to ease them, around what most likely was 3-4 in the morning. Aaron was on watch when he hears a twig snap in the woods. Aaron looks up and sees this huge humanoid figure just standing in a nearby clearing maybe 200 feet away. Aaron woke Mike up to look at the creature, and as soon as Mike wakes up, the yellow eyes appear on the creature and darts off back into the woods. Mike and Aaron stayed up until the sun rose, hearing weird grunting sounds coming from the woods every couple of minutes or so. Aaron is convinced that it's Bigfoot, while Mike believes it's someone messing with them. But it wouldn't make sense. They're still around 30 miles from the end of the journey, and it wouldn't make sense for someone to just wait out there just to veff with someone. The moment the sun rose, the group packed up. Mike and Aaron both agreed to not say anything, to not scare the girls. The next night was relatively uneventful as they all decided that they would finish the trail by the next day. That morning they wake up to find that the same dead animal carcass they had seen days prior had been laying on the path forward where the end of the trail would be. The group, understandably freaked the F out, decided to jog most of the way back. After walking a while, the group is tired and Piper says she's gonna go take a leak further in the woods. The group gets out some food for lunch when Piper comes rushing back. She has a shocked expression on her face. We ask her what's wrong when she explains for us to come see with ourselves. Our stuff is all out, so we decide to leave our stuff behind to go look. Stupid, I know. But they head off just over a small ridge and find this deer carcass literally turned inside out. It literally looked as if someone took a small slit into the deer and used an ungodly force to flip the deer inside out to have all the organs spill out like a meat slushy. Sam immediately throws up from the smell as the rest of the group look in shock. The group immediately heads back to find in the minute or two they were gone. Their stuff had been raided through. Mike decided that this was enough and that they were getting out of there tonight. Mike packed up what was left since a lot of their food was gone and got the group to head on forward. The group reached the end of the trail when a forest ranger immediately greeted them. The forest rangers said that the trail was closed for the time being since they had found some hazards. The group went home as Aaron did some research. Apparently a dead body was found in a creek a few miles. Let's just say that most of the others aren't that big of long-distance camping anymore. Aaron recently tried looking up the original news report, though, but was unable to find the article. Sometimes things are covered up because if people knew that shit, I don't think anyone would ever do another journey like that. Growing up in a small town is a strange ordeal. Everyone seems to know each other very well, and the only new people we get are people on long road trips or family coming to visit us. Like I said, I live in a very small town, yet I love it. Towards the west end of town, we have some farms growing. Although most are cattle farms, they are the occasional place where they grow corn, wheat, whatever they can really. There's this old farmhouse that had been abandoned since the 1970s after a supposed murder that happened there. Although it's most likely that the family moved out, and that's what rumor spread. Anyway, when I was little, my cousin Mike and a few of my friends would come over and we'd hop on our bikes. I remember this was a special occasion since Mike was there. This is the reason we went over there. Mike was the leader of our small gang when he was around and everybody listened. No question. We went down the dirt path and Mike stopped the bike. It was around noon when Mike spotted the farmhouse and I swear to God I can still remember the smug look growing across his face as an idea popped into his head. Mike told us that we were playing hide-and-seek in the house since we didn't have much of anything else to do. James and I reluctantly agreed. We were around eight-nine at the time, so we didn't have any judgment against adventure quite at that age. The Drew Straws and eventually I was the one that originally had to seek. I sighed and began to count to ninety as I knew they both ran to the farmhouse. Ninety seconds passed as I opened my eyes. I smiled as I saw the door wide open to the farmhouse. Those idiots had forgotten to shut it, It, I thought to myself as I jogged towards the house. I reached the front stoop, heading inside. I remember the boards were so old, I thought every step I took the floor would collapse. I headed inside, seeing the house on the inside. To the right was a staircase, while to the left lead to a living room. Straight ahead lead to a hallway to the kitchen, then towards the back door. I smirked, knowing Mike and James enough to know they'd hide together in the same place. I looked forward as a creak came from down the hallway. I saw the basement door slowly moving in the wind. I smirked, knowing that they were leaving breadcrumbs for me to find. The basement was dark. I didn't even try searching for a light since I knew it definitely wouldn't have any power. Downstairs I heard a dripping sound. It was like a sink had been left on slightly as the water slowly drained out. I stopped at the bottom of the stairs, holding my breath, listening for any breathing. It was dark, I could barely see five feet in front of me, and the only light down there came from the upstairs. The concrete basement was cold, in fact, the entire basement was entirely cold from what I remember. I began feeling a large anxiety from the basement that I couldn't explain. I listened in and heard a soft breathing noise. By then I knew someone and had been hiding down there and I was gonna find them. I called out to them, telling them I knew they were there and I was gonna find them. I started walking towards the breathing, avoiding anything lying around in the basement. I bumped into a piano and accidentally set off a few keys, which scared the shit out of me. Keep this in mind because this will come up later. I reached the back wall, the breathing having gotten louder. I moved to my right, hearing breathing louder. The breathing felt warmer as I got closer. I reached out to touch them, calling out to the person when the breathing just suddenly stopped. I didn't hear movement or anything, but I continued moving. I reached the end of the wall. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Oh, finding nothing. I felt odd when suddenly the piano began playing softly. At first, I thought it was just in my head, my mind playing tricks on me. I focused in as the music began playing more violently. By now I knew that this wasn't normal and I began moving back towards the stairs in a panic when the breathing returned, a hot breath on the back of my neck. I screamed as a hand gripped my shoulder, squeezing it softly as I ran. The hand let go as I heard a large crash behind me, like a moose slamming through objects to get to a destination. My legs felt like jello and my eyes began to water as I climbed up the stairs and burst outside. I laid on the ground, sobbing as Mike and James walked over, asking where I'd been. I was confused. I was downstairs for only around five minutes, but they told me I'd been missing for four hours. I was confused when they told me they had been looking for me for three hours, but never checked the basement. When I asked why they told me that the door had been locked from the inside, and when they asked if anyone was in there, all that returned was silence. These are just some stories that are from my childhood and such. These were originally three different posts, but they were deleted. I'll be happy to tell more stories if people are interested. In the heart of Eastern Europe, deep within the thick forests, I found myself on a covert mission as a CIA agent. My objective was to gather crucial intelligence about a secret Russian military base hidden in the wilderness. It was a high-stakes operation, and the risk was immense. As I ventured deeper into the unknown territory, the dense woods seemed to hold secrets of their own. One evening, while carefully navigating through the undergrowth, I stumbled upon something that defied explanation. There, amidst the trees, stood a creature unlike anything I had ever encountered before. It was on all fours, with blackened matted fur that seemed to absorb the surrounding shadows. Its face resembled that of a wolf, but there was an oddity to it. The broadness and slightly shortened muzzle set it apart. As I observed the creature, it curled its lips in an eerie manner, giving the impression of an elongated snout. Its eyes were a haunting shade of yellow, not the bright yellow of the sun, but a dim amber-red hue. It sent shivers down my spine just to look into those mysterious eyes. The creature's ears bore resemblance to that of a husky cropped in alert. Its front legs were long and muscular, resembling those of a powerful bodybuilder. The paws at the end of its limbs were not like any animals. They looked more like massive hands with sharp claws that seemed capable of tearing through anything. Then the unexpected happened. The creature stood up and I heard a horrifying sound, like the popping of joints, but magnified as if played through a loudspeaker. My senses were overwhelmed as I tried to comprehend the enormity of the being before me. It stood so tall that even at a safe distance of ten meters I felt dwarfed in comparison. My heart raced as I realized that this enigmatic creature was far beyond anything I had ever witnessed in my years of service. It let out a powerful howl which resonated through the forest like a deafening roar. I remained frozen in awe and disbelief, my training momentarily forgotten in the face of this encounter. The creature seemed to tower over me, its ears almost reaching the top of a young cedar tree nearby. I knew I had to act fast but my rational mind struggled to comprehend what I'd just witnessed. The creature seemed to be both wolf and something else entirely, and its escape only deepened the confusion and worry in my heart. I retreated from the scene, my mind racing with questions and doubts. Back at my temporary base, I couldn't shake the memory of the unknown creature from my mind. I knew that what I had seen was far beyond any conventional explanation. My training had prepared me for many things, but this encounter had shaken my understanding of the natural world. I decided to keep my observation to myself, fearing that sharing such a surreal story might be met with skepticism or even ridicule. Instead, I focused on my mission, determined to gather the crucial intelligence needed about the Russian military base. As the days passed, I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease knowing that something extraordinary lurked within the Eastern European woods. The encounter with the mysterious creature remained an enigma, and I couldn't shake the feeling that my mission had become entangled with forces far beyond human comprehension. The covert operation continued, and I was successful in acquiring the intelligence needed by the CIA. Yet I couldn't forget the creature that had left me puzzled and always struck. It was a secret... I would carry with me, forever etched into my memory as a reminder that there were still mysteries in the world waiting to be unraveled. In July 1976, my wife and two children, ages 12 and 7, and I moved across the Oregon Cascade Mountain Range from Corvallis, Oregon to Sisters, Oregon, At the time, Sisters was a small mountain range. I was so naive as to forest management, I didn't know there were designated areas to get firewood. During a Saturday in late October, we were running low on kindling, so we decided to go south as Sisters about 12 miles alongside the road where there was a large growth of 2 to 3 inch diameter trees with many blowdowns on the ground. We figured they would be easy to collect and sew up and load into our vehicle trunks. The morning was chilly high, 20s, low 30s, so about 8 a.m. we bundled the kids and ourselves and headed out in our two-car caravan. Arriving at our spot, we pulled off the road and got busy. The only tool I had was a small bow saw. While my family gathered the poles, I began sawing. We quickly loaded my wife's trunk, and she took the kids and headed back to town. Once they were gone, I started sawing wood to load in my car. But after a couple of minutes, every hair in my neck arms and spine stood up. I cried. I felt I was in danger and that I should leave. There was no mind speak, just an intense feeling that I was in danger and needed to leave. I also knew something had eyes on me. I immediately stood up as my gaze was drawn to a downed tree about 40 feet away. It had snapped about 4 feet off the ground and been there a while as weeds and branches were obscuring any sight underneath the tree. I studied that tree briefly looking for something out of place, but I saw nothing and then slowly did a full 180 turn looking for any sign of any indication of an any indication of an animal in the vicinity. I saw nothing. I later learned I should have looked up into the trees, but it never occurred to me. Then I tried to forgive myself for an overactive imagination. So I knelt back down, and I got back to work. Almost immediately, the hair again stood up, and those feelings and thoughts came back. So I repeated the slow turn, looking for signs. Something was out of place. Nothing again. I studied the down tree to see if I could see anything behind it. There was nothing there. I brushed it off his imagination. I said out loud to myself, if anyone or anything else is there, then all right I got the message. I'm leaving. It took me two trips to get all the wood and my saw to the car. Once loaded, I went to the driver's side door, took one last look around, started the car, and left. I never saw, heard, or smelled anything unusual or out of place. The following Monday, when I went to get the kids from the babysitter, I must have said something to her. Her husband is part of Native American, and at the time was a heavy equipment operator for the Forest Service. Three days later, when I went to collect the kids, Bill was home. I'll call him Bill. It's not his real name. He was known for being a straight shooter. I stopped at the picnic table and said hi, and he said to get some iced tea or coffee and come back to talk to him. When I returned, he immediately asked me to tell him what happened the Saturday before. As I told him, he asked if I knew what it was that bothered me. I told him I didn't know. I figured it must probably it was a cougar, a bobcat, or a bear. He smiled. He asked, "Did you check the trees above you? I shook my head no. You should have. Then Bill said something about an apex predator giving a warning before attacking I thought for a minute and replied, so what do you think it was then? He asked. Could it have been a Bigfoot? I thought he was joking, so I laughed and said something to effect that I believed they could be real, but that they were probably myths or folk tales. For the next hour plus he related his personal experiences with the people of the forest. Here is one of his stories. Bill was on a job site in Washington State using a daycat. He was on the side of the mountain when he stopped for lunch. Where he stopped, there was a 600 to 700-foot cliff drop off on his right. He sat on the edge of the cat with his legs dangling over the track to eat and enjoy the scenery of the valley below. As he took a bite of his second sandwich, he heard a faint noise behind him. But on the other side of the cat, he turned to look, and to his surprise, his face was about 18 inches away from a huge save that was leaning on the track looking at him with a faint smile on its face. He said he knew he was in no danger, and he felt no fear. For some reason that morning, he had asked the place he was staying at to pack an extra sandwich for his lunch. He slowly reached into his lunchbox, grabbed the sandwich, unwrapped it, and held it out to his new friend. The save took it, ate it in one bite, pushed off the track gave a slight grunt and turned and walked up into the woods, giving him one last look. After hearing all his encounters, I left their house that night a firm believer in the forest people. I was on my golf cart by myself, and it was completely dark outside and quiet I live in a neighborhood surrounded by farmland in rural Michigan, in woods throughout various spots. I was driving but pulled over because this giant beetle was on my shirt. It pinched me and freaked me out. I pulled over next to a stretch of woods and struggled to get it off of me. In the woods nearby I heard walking, like perhaps a deer walking around, so I wasn't scared. Yet the sounds got louder and closer. The walking had gotten so loud it sounded unreal, something out of Jurassic Park, like a dinosaur stomping. The walking had gotten overwhelmingly loud and extremely close, so I slammed on the gas and hurried out of there. I looked behind me but couldn't see anything, but felt shivers down my spine because I swear it was inches behind me. Not sure if this has anything to do with it, But I was talking about skinwalkers with my sister and doing some research, so I hope that didn't invite anything. But I can't even describe how loud the stomping was. It sounded unreal and was seriously terrifying. I wasn't too sure what it could have been, but many people are saying it was probably a wendigo. And I do believe this is. They can get up to 15 feet tall, which would explain why the stomping was very loud, perhaps. Good evening, fellow enthusiasts. Let me start by validating my credibility first. I've been monitoring the crypt side for a good 15 years now. I have a degree in zoology and a master's focusing specifically on herpetology, study of reptiles, and amphibians for the newcomer. This academic background has greatly contributed to my pursuit of the known and the unknown. What I'm about to share is a living testament to my adventures in the dark corners of our world. And before I roll the dice on this, know that this is not some drunken tall tale. During the event, I was unadulteratedly sober. Senses sharpened by the austere seaside chill. Yesterday, I had a harrowing encounter... THE LIKES OF WHICH I'VE NEVER ENCOUNTERED IN MY GENEROUS STRETCH OF EXPERIENCES, FACING THE ELUSIVE NAG'S HEAD BEACH CREATURE. THE MOON WAS IN COMPLETE AUTHORITY, STARS STUBBORNLY SHROUDED BEHIND THE THICK SHROUD OF CLOUDS. AS THE TIDE SURREPTITIOUSLY SLID IN, I SAW, OR RATHER SENSED SOMETHING, A MERE FLICKER AT THE CORNER OF MY VISION, SOMETHING THAT REQUIRED PERIPHERAL ACKNOWLEDGEMENT, A FLEETING SHADOW, A passing chill, an abrupt indent in reality, this being the nags-head beach creature, much like many obscure curiosities we study, appreciates the solitude of night. Nocturnal engagements are its preferred encounters lingering in the periphery, solidifying its ghostly essence. A mystery etched in the sands of nags-head, always visible from the sides, yet vanishing to thin air the moment direct contact is attempted. Illusory, you might say, but not when you've heard it. The sound that threads chills through your spine. The creature in its movement spoke a peculiar language. An alien-like slithering rustle, a chick-a-chick, ah, if you will, an uncanny sound clawing up your consciousness. It was akin to the whispers of nighttime winds through desolate dunes or the uneasy scuttle of a crustacean against washed-up seashells, a serpentine orchestra only the nocturne listens to. Now, about its tracking signature, footprints you wouldn't expect. They were digital, formed of an enigmatic static that pulsed before disappearing into the soothing waves. Ghostly lit specters on the sand left behind by its passing as if the beach obliquely hummed with the static discharge of this creature. A modern mystery misaligned from anything we perceive as typical. And God forbid should you strive to photograph this elusive entity, for it would defy the said attempt in an uncannily digital way again, rendering itself only a three-pixel smudge in any photo. An undefined form, yet mysteriously defined by its defiant resistance to be perceived. After the encounter, my mind whirled with theories and speculations. This creature's nature, its ethereal presence, and its disembodied essence felt a-worldly. Pondering my experience, the possible explanation that eventually crystallized was dubiously paranormal. I believe that what I encountered was not a creature bound to the three dimensions we live in. It might be our first contact with a creature of the fourth dimension. The digital footprints, the confounding three-pixel apparition, and the ephemeral perceptibility all lead to an elusive creature that exists in a higher order of spatial existence, only partially interfacing with our three-dimensional space-time reality. A being transparent to us, living a parallel life wrapped in the splintering silence of the nags-head night. This is our world, the crypt side, a melting pot of varied realities, countless oddities, and incomprehensible encounters. This was my encounter with the elusive nags-head beach creature, an experience that tipped my skeptically academic life to a pondering, fear-churning paranoia but isn't that why we're here to chase the unknown and expose the veiled truths because in the end isn't that the very soul of cryptozoology stay curious stay brave and keep your mind open the air was crisp and laden with the aroma of dinner cooking over an open fire My partner and I, two dedicated prospectors, had set up camp along the tranquil Upper Wolf Creek. As the sun dipped below the horizon, casting long shadows through the towering trees, we were lost in the camaraderie of shared stories and the promise of what the next day's prospecting might bring. But then, as if the forest itself had been jolted awake, a sudden commotion erupted from the woods. We turned our heads just in time to catch a glimpse of a bear, a massive creature sprinting through the underbrush. It bounded past our campsite, its powerful form creating a blur of fur and muscle as it splashed through the creek and disappeared into the darkness on the other side. We exchanged astonished glances, our hearts racing from the unexpected encounter. Our surprise was far from over for mere moments after the bear's passing. Another thunderous sound reverberated through the air. We swiveled our heads, our eyes widening in disbelief. There, following the exact path as the bear, was an immense figure, towering and covered in hair. It was a Bigfoot, a creature often relegated to the realm of myths and legends. Now running before our very eyes, the Bigfoot, every bit as swift as the bear, leaped over the creek with a grace that belied its size disappearing into the shadows beyond. Our jaws dropped in unison, and a stunned silence settled over our camp. The forest seemed to hold its breath as if acknowledging the rarity of the spectacle we had just witnessed. After what felt like an eternity, one of us finally managed to find his voice. What did you just see? The words hung in the air, a testament to the bewildering reality of the situation. Slowly, we approached the creek, our hearts still racing and our minds struggling to comprehend the improbable sequence of events that had unfolded before us. At the water's edge, we knelt down and examined the ground, our fingers tracing the impressions left behind by the passing creatures. There, side by side, were the tracks of both the bear and the Bigfoot. One giant print was superimposed over the outline of a bear's paw, a visual representation of the unlikely convergence of two enigmatic beings. Days later, still awestruck by our encounter, we shared our story with our fellow National Guardsmen during our monthly meeting in Grant's past. Excitement radiated from us as we recounted the tale of the Bear and the Bigfoot, the unlikely companions that had sprinted through our camp with a reckless abandon, completely unbothered by our presence. As the unit sergeant listened to our account, he could sense the sincerity in our voices and the awe that still lingered in our eyes. He had no doubt that we had experienced something truly extraordinary. It was a moment that would forever bind us, a memory etched in our minds, a testament to the mysteries that still linger within the depths of the forest, waiting to be uncovered by those fortunate enough to bear witness. I was packing supplies into a shelter on the long trail. I was 10 or 11. I got 10 bucks for it each time I did it. I'm coming back out and I hear a dog barking. I think cool, someone is hiking with their dog. Then I hear another dog bark and another and another until there were about 20 different voices and I felt the hairs on the back of my neck go stiff. They could not have been much more than a couple hundred yards away. I knew there was no way to avoid or outrun them, so I climbed the nearest pine tree I could get to. I was up about twenty feet when this pack of wild dogs arrived and proceeded to circle the tree, occasionally following my scent up the tree trunk. Then they decided to try and wait me out. Only one person knew I was packing in, and he wasn't going to be home until ten, thirty at night, so we waited. All I had was a buck knife and a wrist rocket, so I made the weight as painful as possible. When I ran out of rocks, I used pine cones, small green ones. I may have peed on them a few times, too. It was dark when they decided to leave. I walked home after collecting a handful of stones, met my dad on the road going home, never so glad to crawl into bed. My dad was a professional land surveyor, and I would work for him on weekends or during the summer. We were doing some work in a large conservation area, and he'd parked the truck in a wide path that was supposed to be only open to environmental police and such, but there was obviously illegal dumping. We were going back to the truck for lunch, and when we stepped out onto the path near the truck, It was surrounded by at least half a dozen bikers who had broken the driver's side window and thrown all the gear out looking for stuff to steal. We were about 50 feet from them, and it felt like hours of silence when one of them said to the others he saw us. They can identify us. I was 11 or 12, I don't really remember, but I was old enough to know what he was insinuating. My dad stepped in front of me, made a gesture with his hand that was holding his mache a common tool for land surveyors, and said we didn't see anything. We're just working. Now, I know for a fact my dad was capable of hurting people, even his own kids, and he could scrap. After a long pause, they backed away, got on their bikes, and left. My dad had us pack up only the important or expensive gear. Stakes and property bounds stayed, and drove us out of there in the other direction. I've never seen him be that reckless with a truck before or after. With we got to a nearby convenience store, my body and mind completely drained of adrenaline, and I lost it. I couldn't even stand. I couldn't believe those people were going to kill us just because we caught them breaking into our car. But they absolutely were. My dad was a shit person. He was abusive and mentally ill. But there were a few times he showed he didn't hate me, and that was one of them. Hiking in Colorado through some old train tunnels with a friend not far off from a fairly populated area. The train tunnels were fascinating, blasted out of mountain with some quite long requiring headlamps, but definitely wouldn't want to be there alone. We eventually did. ended so backtracking the way we came. As we exited one tunnel, there was a severed deer head in the middle of the path that wasn't there the first time we walked through. Not a recent kill, but still fully fleshed. On our way into the area, there were some tents that were clearly used by homeless individuals, maybe 150 yards off the path. We took it as a clear sign we weren't welcome and needed to leave immediately. I went to this kind of outdoor education boarding school when I was 14. 15 in the Victorian Alps in Australia. We hiked the mountains in that area almost every weekend, usually doing two three-night hikes, sometimes longer. We had heard from teachers and locals that there were hermits in the mountains who lived in shacks or drifted between the old cattleman huts. We just brushed them off as stupid stories that the teachers tell you to spook you. However, we did this one hike at the tail end of winter. That kind of led me to believe there were actual hermits living in the mountains. Basically, we were doing this four-day hike at the end of winter, so it was super gloomy, foggy, and cold the whole hike. The Victorian Alps are famous for their cattlemen's huts, which are all over the high country. We would hike from hut to hut, but we rarely stayed in them because it was one of the school's rules. So we were hiking on the second day on this steep ridge, and it was mega foggy and cold. You couldn't see into the valley, only down the sloping edges of the ridge. When you're hiking long distances, you don't really talk the whole way, and since it was miserable, we all just had our heads down walking straight. Out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw a black dog about 50 meters down the side of the ridge. It wasn't a dingo, because it was jet black and had a collar on. Looked kind of like a border collie. I had only just registered. It was a dog in my mind when I swear I saw a man walking behind the dog. He looked homeless and was looking up at us. Bear in mind it was really foggy and this guy was darting in and out of trees. I turned around and told my mate I saw a dude and his dog on the trail below. He was still visible so I pointed him out and my mate freaked a little too and told everyone else to look. In the moment of getting my group, six guys, to stop hiking and all look, he was gone. Everyone other than myself and my mate who saw him shrugged it off as a day hiker and his dog. We joked it was a hermit, but didn't speak about it much after. We arrived at our campsite, which was the Vallejo Gardener hut. We couldn't stay in the hut, so we set up camp on the flat ground around it. We set up, cooked dinner, and got ready to sleep. I didn't think much about the man and dog I saw earlier, but now it was getting dark. It kind of crept into my mind. There is this awesome toilet at this hut that overlooks the valley below. Honestly, an awesome shitter. It was almost dark, and I need a shit, so I headed to the look. As I was sitting there and looking at the view, I was feeling a little creeped out. I don't know why. Now, one thing to note is that these huts are all covered in scribbles and peoples, names, little sayings, etc. Like literally, every square inch is covered in something. So, awk you never really read anything on the walls if you stay at these huts like every weekend. Though as I reached for the toilet paper, these words literally jumped out at me. Run, run, he's coming. Run, I never wiped my ass faster. Combined with what I had seen earlier and my creepy feeling, I just bolted out of the bathroom into my tent. The guy I was tending with, actually, was the one who had also seen the dead. so I told him what I saw in the bathroom. We both became pretty paranoid and just sort of laid there for hours, not making a sound. Eventually, I went to sleep. Shit really gets weird when the next day we woke up to find huge portions of our food missing. We keep the food in the outside bit of our tents, in our hiking packs, and then inside zip bags. Half of my group's outside tent flies were undone, with packs open and food bags were strewn over the ground. We thought it was a wombat originally, but the bags were literally unzipped and our hiking packs had buckles to open them. My thinking was the dude I saw earlier was a hermit and followed us to our camp and stole our food at night. Honestly, creepiest shit I have ever experienced.